Are you looking to take your knowledge of faith to the next level? Oh, yeah! You've come to the right place. Welcome to Post-Christian Pastors, broadcasting from the Steel City, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The podcast hosted by four pastors as they discuss relationships, faith, pop culture, current issues, and much, much more. Welcome to Post-Christian Pastors. Hey, we are glad you've joined us for another exciting episode. And uh, I'm Mark Helso, along with the boys. How you guys doing? Doing great. Doing uh, well. Uh, we, we're missing. We're down one person today. Yes. And uh, our, our beloved our beloved John Price is not with us today. Sorry, buddy. We missed the nice guy. But we do have with us. <laughs> we do. Marv Nelson. And then Marv Nelson is with us. He's pretty nice, too. Mike yeah. Arnold. And Mike Arnold and myself. And uh, we're looking forward to this uh, episode of Post-Christian Pastors. Hey, guys, before we get started, uh, just before we recorded this, um, recorded this uh, episode, we just found out that um, Prince died. Yeah. So a pretty sad, pretty sad moment, uh, especially if you grew up in the 80s or the purple rain, you know, 90s by a little red yeah. Corvette, purple rain. Yeah. I mean, these are just like classic, uh, classic songs from those days. So sad to see that happen. Sad to see Prince uh, leave us. China also died. Just thought I would throw that out there. Who? Oh, yes. China, China the Russian. WWF. Yeah, it's been a crazy. You know, things. it's been a crazy year for musicians. It dying. happens in threes, guys. Mm. But, but musicians, it seems like this year especially. Yeah, the old guys. There's been like a ton of musicians who have died. But we're glad you've joined us here on uh, Post Christian Pastors, and this is a podcast. Uh, it's just a group of pastors, and we get together, and we basically talk about what it's like in society. And it's our deep belief that the United States is is a post Christian society, and uh, and so how do we live in that? How do we live out our faith in that? How do we uh, love people in the midst of that? You know, all those things. So we've been discussing that over the first three episodes of the podcast. This is episode four. And the title for this episode is called Pastors Gone Rogue. And uh, you remember watching shows and things like that when people go rogue? Yep. They're just like, go on their own. They're always, go, you know, always going rogue. Uh, so it's like it's a like, rogue spy. It's like Jack Bauer always went rogue on 24. He just yeah. always like went off. Off of you know whatever he was supposed to do, he just kind of went rogue. I uh, I, I just have the Star Wars Rogue One in my mind, so just just <laughs> yeah. where I'm at right now. So I once yeah. drove a Nissan Rogue. Oh wow! All right, well, well, there you go. Work. So all right, we're going to talk about um, <laughs> pastors gone rogue. We're excited uh, and we're we're going to talk about you know. Uh, things like power and leadership and mega churches and kind of uh, how you can get lost in leadership and different things. It should be an interesting episode, whether you're a pastor or not, if you are just a congregant in a church, or maybe you've avoided church because of issues that have come up with pastors gone rogue. Yeah. I mean, so this will be a great podcast for you. We've got some great guests for you. I'm pretty excited about this. I have my former boss and pastor, Matt. Matthew Hartsfield, who's going to join us from Van Dyke United Methodist Church in in a uh, in Tampa, Florida, just north of Tampa, and I we worked together for about five years. So excited to uh, have nice. him on. That's going to be fun. And uh, the guy we got to say this: the guy who wrote the 
introduction for Marv's book because we got to push the book. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the That's book, right. The book is uh, out there. Uh, what good is Jesus? It was the subject of our first episode. But yep. Marv, uh, Warren Bird's coming on, and Warren Bird is from the. Uh, we'll introduce him more later, but he is from the Leadership Network, which yep. I've read a lot of books from Leadership Network. Love yep. their stuff. It's great. They stuff. do good work. So those guys are going to be coming on to talk about these issues. It's going to be a great show. We're going to have some fun. We hope that you will stick around and be a part of it. So we'll be coming up with those guys soon, and we'll be right back here on Post-Christian Pastors. Back at it here on Post-Christian Pastors. And so here we go, guys. Um, We're talking about uh, pastors gone rogue, and we're looking at this whole thing of power in the church and senior pastors and mega church pastors, especially we're looking at today and just kind of having uh, power and maybe going too far with that power or exhibiting certain behaviors and things like that, that, that cause all kinds of problems within the church and with themselves, if you wanted to be real honest. So, uh, and we're, we're talking about this issue because in the light of over the last year, year and a half, kind of, um, some big things have happened in the church. The, the most notable one was probably Mark Driscoll from Seattle yeah. and uh, the whole kind of implosion of Mars Hill Church, in uh, which no longer exists in Seattle, one of the biggest churches in America, that basically imploded kind of around Mark's issues. And they were not issues of like... Um, uh, having an affair or stealing money, even though there were some money issues that were discussed yeah. that um, I'm not sure has ever been resolved. But really, the heart of the issue was the way that uh, that Mark uh, controlled people, yep. created a abusive atmosphere for people that worked there. It was yeah. leader, leadership behavior. Basically. It was leadership behavior yeah. and like huge Misuse ego, kind of huge mm-hmm. ego, controlling, um, just abuse of power. And uh, we, so we saw that come up with Mark uh, last year, and we'll talk in a minute about this recent one that just came up, I think, yeah. last week or the week before, which was Darren Patrick. Patrick, um, both of these guys uh, were from Acts 29, which is a church planning network. In fact, Mark founded yeah, uh, Acts 29, which is a huge church planning uh, thing. And so I just kind of want to walk through, I want to walk through the Driscoll case really quick um, and just kind of talk about how that happened and then talk about the Darren Patrick thing and then also kind of share some of our own stories of, of things that have happened uh, in our experiences uh, working under people that were leading in the church. So just to revisit the Driscoll thing. So that happened in about 2014, in October of 2014, Mark actually resigned yeah. after the elders uh, challenged him on these behaviors. He never actually went through the process. I don't think that they had laid out for him to do. And, and let's just say this, we are on the outside looking in on these things. Right. We don't know the so, deep inner so workings. So our, our, uh, critique or our look at this today is not to um, point the finger at people's sins. We're all sinners sitting around here. There's not a perfect pastor sitting around here. But our real intent is to look at um, what's healthy in leadership? What's what's? How can a church handle problems with leadership in a healthy way? Uh, what what should you be like as a pastor, or or, or what you should expect from your pastor if you're listening yeah. to this and you're 
a congregant. So, so the the Driscoll stuff. I want to read this because I, I think it's fascinating. I want I want to read this. This was uh, this comes from a guy named Ron Wheeler. This was a letter that he wrote to Mark Driscoll. He was a founder, uh, one of the founders uh, of Acts twenty nine. He was kind of in the founding of it. And he wrote this letter to Mark, and I just want to read it because this is kind of captures some of the things that we're talking about uh, of abusive leadership, of kind of using your power and authority in a wrong way. He talks about meeting with Mark and hearing about his vision for the church, but then there's this big but, and he says, but then I listened as you slandered and maligned the men and women we worked with behind their backs, Hmm. who though we didn't agree with some of them theologically, were wonderful people and never deserved to be spoken of or treated the way you did. People who I know would have considered you a friend and have no idea how you really felt about them. I have personally tried to go back and apologize to people who were kicked to the curb along the way. And yes, I do feel I was complicit to your actions, guilty by way of association and being silent, probably because he was worried about his job, right? So then he says, in the fall of 2004, my then wife had an affair with another person on staff who was also one of my closest friends. Add to all that some significant personal weaknesses and sins of my own, and I, we, needed serious help. I asked you for that help, and in customary fashion, you dropped the hammer. When all of your recommendations on discipline weren't followed, you came unglued. You cursed me up one side and down the other. You threatened and berated me. I have never been spoken to the way you did to me then. It was vicious and startling. I was reeling and devastated from what I had just discovered with my wife and close friend. Mm -hmm. Then you involved yourself in our eldership in a most irresponsible and reckless manner. In hindsight, it never should have gotten to that point, and I accept full responsibility for that, but what I needed was trustworthy biblical accountability. Instead, I got slander, threats, and verbal abuse. I know it all now. I read the communication you had with the other elders behind my back. Ugly, slanderous, defaming lies, Mark. I thought you were my brother, and you treated me like scum. On March 17, 2005, I sent a letter of grievance to the board of Acts 29, asking them to address what I had come to realize over time were serious character flaws of yours. I made the case that biblically you were unfit and disqualified as an elder, a case based on long-established patterns of pride, lack of self-control, sexually vulgar and slanderous speech, exaggeration that bordered on deception, wow. gossip about others, and confidentiality issues. Again, not the big ones that people typically, you know, point out with pastors, well, he slept with this person or or he stole money or something like that. Your words rarely matched up to how you live. You can't preach Jesus and curse people. You Mm -hmm. can't preach Jesus and threaten people. You can't preach Jesus and be sexually vulgar. You can't preach Jesus and denigrate women. You can't preach Jesus and then shun people. You can't preach Jesus and give rich people special privileges. You can't preach Jesus and steal people's material. You can't preach Jesus and approve the use of funds for your desires instead of the donor's desire. You can't preach Jesus and cheat your way on the bestsellers list. It really is this simple. To preach Jesus, you have to be like Jesus. You destroyed people, Mark. You've ruined people's reputations through your own perverse interpretation of God's grace. You've cast people aside who you decided were not on mission, not on mission, spoke of 
a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. That was an actual quote. Wow. The pragmatism backfired. What you won them with is what you won them to. And now there are thousands who have been hurt and who have hurt others. Beautifully, many of them are finding forgiveness and healing as they reconnect with each other and grow in grace. Please, Mark, just stop, step down, resign. Hmm. Wow. Okay, so that comes, so there, there's a ton of stuff in there. Okay, so, right. but again, it's, it's dealing with this issue of arrogance, pride, sure. exaggeration, um, favoritism is in there. I mean, there's a lot of there things that, that I think we would say yeah. that we see increasingly over and over again are acceptable sins a lot of times for people who are in big ministries and usually are not held accountable to those sins. So that was in Mark's case. And obviously it finally came to a head. Now the recent one is Darren Patrick and uh, Marv's going to kind of highlight that case because just to kind of put a a stamp on this to say some of the same things. And, And the crazy thing is about this is both of these guys, Mark Driscoll, Darren Patrick, were both in Acts 29. Right. And when Mark Driscoll was removed from Acts 29, Darren Patrick was on the board Signing that removed him. Yeah. Signing so letter him. you would think you would see this kind of behavior and then see it in your own life right. and then repent of it. We're going to talk about repentance and restoration, that kind of stuff sure. too. But Marv, if you could kind of highlight. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that what you just said was probably the thing that shocked me most about the Darren Patrick story is that he had seen the fall and the failure and, and the hard crash of Driscoll, but mm. didn't allow it to, to change how he looked at himself or set those context. So Darren Patrick, uh, pastor of mega church, yeah. I think of 6,000 yeah. or something, the journey in St. Louis, I believe. Yeah. And, Darren, uh, on the vice president of the Acts 29 Church Planning Network, um, was just removed from his senior pastorship. Right. And this is the letter you're about to read that was sent from the elders. Yep. Uh, just to kind of tell you why. So if you could... Yeah, yeah. It says, uh, the, the initial and now confirmed accusations were not of adultery, but did violate the high standard for elders in marriage through inappropriate meetings, conversations, and phone calls with two women. Additionally, the board has been engaged for several years now in uncovering and confronting other deep sin patterns in Darren that do not reflect the biblical qualifications for an elder, such as abandonment of genuine biblical community. So he was separating himself out. Okay. Refusal of personal accountability. So when he was challenged with things that he was needing to work on, he ignored it and, and, and then didn't have personal accountability. Step back from that. Okay, no accountability. Okay. Right. Lack of self-control. Manipulation and lying, similar to, to what we, we saw in Driscoll. Yep. Domineering over those in his charge, similar to what we saw in Driscoll. Some kind of abusive workplace. Yeah, misuse of power and authority, again, very similar to Driscoll. A history of building his identity through ministry and media platforms. Now, that wasn't... That's an interesting one. Yeah, that wasn't necessarily something that we saw in Driscoll in, in the initial letter, but I think it was also part of his failure. Mm-hmm. Because there was this sense of I'm bigger than than this church. I'm bigger than what what people are allowing me to be. So so I'm bigger than life itself. I'm I mean, a celebrity pastor, right? Yep. I mean, and Darren, like I, I love a lot of his books. I mean, sure. Church Planter was a fantastic book that challenged and, and and saw you know saw me look at myself as a man and say how you know how am I as a pastor? Uh, you know, and then he wrote the book on manhood, which just came out not too long ago, you know, like the Dude's Guide to Manhood, right? Or the Dude's Guide like to Manhood, and, and and it was a, a good challenge. 
challenging book. But even inside some of that, as well as in some of Driscoll's books, his book on marriage, there were certain things you're like, wow, that, wow, that's taking it too far. Right. And, and so you could see even in the writing and there were things that I was wondering, like, how in the world is this? Is this OK? Some of the things that were being said, um, you know, it's just it, it was kind of a shock. And, and I think Darren had the similar struggle that Mark did was this that we're going to talk about just this sense of overinflated self. Yep. And uh, I, I can do what I want to do because, you know, I'm called by God and, and, and I can do it. Uh, and, and so there, and I'm the celebrity here at this church or right. The reason the this country. church is even here is because of me. And I think that, uh, you know, some of the pastors that were on Driscoll's uh, payroll back in the day, that, that he would say things like that. You're here because I built this right. church. Right. And sure. so there was this sense of, Kingship. It's a sense of kingship over servantship. And right. they've lost sight of it, that we're, as pastors, really here to serve the church, Christ's bride. It's not here to serve us. Right. And so sometimes you lose sight of that in success. So, right. Mike, as we, as we get into this, um, again, we, we bring up these two examples because they are current examples. And again, we are all sinful. Absolutely. We are all broken, flawed pastors. But I think these two examples for me, it kind of highlight the topic we're going to talk about is like, what happens when a pastor kind of goes rogue and is kind of like out on his own, as you, right. were, as you were saying, kind of doing whatever he wants, and there's no accountability. We're not trying to ruin someone's reputation. Or bash the church. for, for Yeah, or bash right. the church. But we're, we we're also trying it. to point out, is there a problem? Yes. Right? Is there something that we should look at sure there so is. that further people don't get hurt, further people don't get destroyed, including the pastors Most that we're talking about? So right. have you guys seen this this problem in your own lives, like Mike, have you seen Most have you seen yeah. this happen in situations that you worked in? As yeah, I've served in four large churches, over two thousand people, or two thousand people or more, and um, uh, yeah, most definitely I've seen it. I've seen it on multiple cases. Sometimes where pastors uh, have asked their employees to do things or demanded information that it's an illegal request. That if that was done in the marketplace, they could be sued. Uh, wrongful terminations for sure. Um, multiple times where power has been abused. Uh, almost in this thought of like a theocracy that the the pastor's word is is the word of God that they yeah. get to rule this kingdom and so they're given so much authority sometimes it's structurally uh, set up that way that the yeah. organization has been set up in such a way that the elders do not have a uh, real true authority they could advise maybe but to to even do something like that we talked about here where they removed a pastor I've been in environments where that's impossible um, right because right. of how the governance structure was created wow. and so um, well, like we were talking about that. before we went up, before we start recording, is a lot of times the accountability, the, who holds these pastors accountable? Because a lot of times, well, you would say, okay, elders, and in you know the Darren Patrick case, there were elders that held them accountable. Right. Some churches don't have elders. Number one, that's right. some of the problem. That's a problem. Number two, number two, a lot of times the elders are uh, they are. Uh, volunteers, they are not there on the day-to-day of the church. Sure. And so they have no idea how the pastor is leading or treating treating the people that are working there full-time with them. And the people that are working there full-time with them, they probably have the best read on what's going on, but they can't speak up because if they speak up, they could be terminated. They lose their job, and right. they are fired for whatever made-up reason yep. a lot of times people come up with and, and just literally fire them. There was a church that I worked in where the founding pastor uh, retired. 
and the whole process of the founding pastor retiring was just an absolute disaster. Um, <laughs> there was an incredibly destructive environment that was created. There was an environment of fear. It was an environment of secrecy. Yeah. It was an environment of abusive leadership. I mean, it was, I could write a book and I should, it was one of the worst leadership things I'd ever seen. It's funny because I was doing my master's on leadership while I was in this wow. and I would just read stuff in my books that going, yep. <laughs> yep, saw that. Yep, seeing that this week. Yeah, that's really wow. bad. So, but one thing I wanted to highlight was when we, uh, after this person had retired, to like two weeks later, they had the whole staff sit down with consultants. Yeah. For one thing, we had absolutely no secession plan because the the outgoing senior pastor would not let them have a secession plan. There was so much gripping on the power, holding on to this, like would not let go. Um, and so we all sat around. Around, and I'll never forget this. We all sat around this room, and the consultant said, "Okay, speak freely. How do you feel about, you know, going forward here?" And um, the one guy put up his hand, and he goes, "I just want to be clear. Um, the senior pastor is not coming back, right? Like this is weeks <laughs> after he left, and said he's not coming wow. back, right? So I can speak freely, like." Crazy, right? Wow. And so, and then everybody went around that table. And just one after another talked about how crazy it had been to wow. work underneath of this person. And that is something that, that and there, there were people, there were people on the board of that church who would say, oh, this church has thrived under this person's leadership. And yeah. everybody who worked on staff, though, said, that's not true. That's not true. And every person around went around and told the consultant this is a disaster so, and it's know, been Mark, a disaster. I think one of the tensions that I've been observing, especially in church leaderships, but most of these guys have very strong personalities. If you put them on the oh, yeah. test, they'd be yeah. high D, yeah. high I. And so there's blind spots to that. Yeah, when it comes to, to leadership and, and abusing power, I have... You know, I have a story. It was Tell definitely us. it was <laughs> it was definitely interesting. Uh, it's not in a large church; it was a smaller church setting. Right. Um, but you know, it still happens there too. I was under a senior pastor uh, in my earlier days, and he was a power hungry guy, just really mm. super uh, frustrating to work with. I remember this one time he came into my office. He said, "Hey, I, I know you're going on vacation this weekend, <laughs> uh, but could you preach on Sunday? Could you come back, you know, on on Saturday night and then preach Sunday morning?" Sounds like a great vacation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I said, I said, "Well, that's going to be really tough. <laughs> if if you absolutely need me to do that, like if you're not going to be here, I'll do it." He's like, "Oh, I'm going to be here." And I was like, "Well, I don't know if I could do that." And so he went up to his office, you know, he was clearly frustrated. About 15 minutes later, he comes back downstairs and he slams the door and he begins screaming at me and he's like, I'm going to have you get in that effing pulpit. He's like, it's my <laughs> pulpit. Like, I want you to do this. You're going to, and he's like cussing and screaming. He's like, when he said effing, it wasn't friendly. No, it wasn't friendly. friendly. No, 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 no. He's, like, it's, pulpit, he's, boy. he's like, it's my, it's my pulpit and, I, and I'm the pastor of this church and I'm going to tell you what to do. You're going to do it without questioning. He's like, I just got off the phone with one of my friends and he said, how dare you talk to me that way? And I thought, wow, like I worked at Chili's. I've had managers that work at Chili's and I've never been yelled at in the secular sector ever like that. And he was turning red and screaming. He never got cussing. yelled at Chili's like he no, got yelled at in the church. Never. Not even from that's, customers. That's a cool t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to Get go to church. in the pulpit, boy. Get, your, <laughs> Get in the but, pulpit. But it was, it was just one of those things and, and I tried to get you know, people around me saying, Hey, like, is this normal? And, and he, he was doing that to many people in the church. Did you preach in that week or whatever? Happened? I did. 
when you're when you are a 22 year old youth pastor and you have this experience, you wet yourself, you pick yourself up, and you go preach. But one of the things I think that we just need to keep in mind as spiritual leaders is that we need to keep in balance, I like to say, the gifts of the Spirit, which these guys have incredible gifts of teaching and leadership. They have to be in balance with the fruit of the Spirit in our right, lives right, as well. Right. You know, Galatians chapter 5 says, The acts of this flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. These are some of the things that we've talked about in, in these right. letters. Selfish ambition, dissensions, fractions, yeah. and envy. You know, those are things that are that are happening from high-profile spiritual leaders. Right. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yeah. Right. You know, so when, when we grow in our, in our spiritual gifts, and as pastors, you know, exercise their gifts, sometimes they get a, a broader audience or a greater following or a bigger church. We have to work on the growing in, I think, the fruit of the Spirit as well and be demonstrating that. And so it, it's But right. maybe the system isn't set up to foster that in these people because it allows them as the leader to get beyond it's not a system well, problem it, it's a personal responsibility right. well, 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 no no i'm saying it no, i'm saying it yeah i'm not i'm not letting anybody off the hook including sure. myself right it's my responsibility to foster those things and stay in step with the spirit Most of those things in my life but what if the environment that's been created by this fact that we want celebrity pastors right and okay we've that, created that environment mm-hmm. and just because we've created that environment it almost pushes us into our sinful nature it helps right. it helps push us into it when when there should be accountability and there should be a soberness and maybe the system should be set up so that it keeps pulling us away from right. our sinful nature we we have to do it ourselves too but sure. but we have our brothers and sisters who help us keep us from I mean, I know churches that do team models of teaching and leadership, right? So it keeps one person so me, from the, becoming the the, the celebrity. The, celebrity. The, the warning side is if you're going to a church right now and someone has some incredible gifts of the spirit, but they're not demonstrating the fruit of the spirit at all. If they're arrogant, if there's fits of rage, if right. they're showing fruit of the flesh, right. then um, then that's a warning sign uh, right. of a, of a church that you are in a difficult spot. And you should well, watch that in your spiritual leaders. And I think one of the one of the important things that comes out of both Darren and Mark Driscoll's story for the redemption side, because we're not trying to just throw people under the bus. I think think the one thing that that I have seen in my personal life, I mean, I have stories of crazy interactions with some stuff as well, Um, but, you know, as pastors, because we are pastors, we can speak to this, we need accountability. And we need mentors in our life that are going to get in our face and say, hey, bro, you are not demonstrating the the fruit of the Spirit at all. We need to allow people access, no matter how popular or how cool or how many books, books we've written, we need to allow yes. people into our life to look at us in the face and punch us a little bit. And, and I think that that's something that many of these celebrity pastors just don't allow themselves to have because if someone says you're doing it wrong, they have to adjust. They might not be as popular. Well, and I think you also have to stop when it's called to your attention. You need to stop and take notice of it. You know, both of those gentlemen had the opportunity to stop and respond. Right. And it's usually been evolved around pride, ego, uh, abusive leadership. And insecurity. Using people. Yeah. Yeah. Often there's a deep-seated insecurity of trying to live up to something that that you cannot live up to as a pastor as well that's driving much of that. Right. Right. And I I think insecurity is a huge piece of that. Uh, There's not this sense of their identity in Christ the way that they preach about it uh, because their identity is 
is in their their platform or their books or how many people are liking them on Facebook. It can become addictive. Sure right? can. So we've got lots to talk about, and yeah. we've got great people to talk about it with. We're coming back with uh, Matthew Hartsfield, and and he's going to be talking to us about. He is a senior pastor in a large church. Yep. He's been there for twenty years, and uh, we're going to talk more to him about that. And we're also going to talk to Warren Bird from Leadership Network, who's an expert on mega churches and working with pastors and mega churches. So don't go anywhere. It's going to be fun. Back here on Post Christian Pastors, and this is going to be a fun topic to talk about. This, this juicy whole thing. one. We got a juicy one today. We got guys. a juicy one. Yeah, this whole thing oh, about yeah. leadership and senior pastors and abusive leadership and all these things. I mean, it stirs up a lot of stuff. And uh, I'm really excited to have on our our, our next guest. Uh, his name is Matthew Hartsfield, and uh, he comes all the way from Lutz, Florida. And and my connection, just before we get into his kind of bio, my connection to him is that I got to work with him for like four and a half, five years, somewhere in there. We got to work together. I was the high school pastor at the church that where he was the lead pastor. And that church is called Van Dyke United Methodist Church in Lutz, Florida. It's about a 3,000 plus mega church there. Matthew's been the pastor of it for over 20 years and seen it grow and went through that whole building projects and all that kind of craziness and did all those things. He's the author of the book called Shouting at Jesus, not What Good is Jesus, like Marv's book. There we go. We plugged <laughs> Marv's book again. Uh, shouting at Jesus. Uh, he's the founder of the Real Ideas Conference, church conference, which helps a ton of churches figure out how to do more effective ministry. It's a pretty great. cool uh, conference that they host there at the church. He's just an all-around great guy. So <laughs> welcome, Matthew Hartsfield. Hi, Matthew. Hey, thanks, Mark, so much. And uh, let me tell you, the, the, the most blessed Five years of my 23 years here at Bandai Church were when you were with me on my staff. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> I was hoping he was going to say after you left. When yeah, you I know, he was going to rub. I can rub feel it. all the love from Florida right oh, now. No. Yeah. So, yeah. Matthew. Well, you know, the truth is that, uh, you know, my first book, Shouting at Jesus, is going to be now followed up by my second one, Shouting at Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Yelling, yep, at, your yelling at your youth pastor. Yelling at your youth pastor. Why, you why were you mud wrestling out in the... Exactly. Well, it wasn't mud, it was pudding. Anyway, so... (laughs) I don't want that image in my head. Yeah, we did. So, so Matthew, we wanted you to come on because you're kind of in the heart of of pastoring a mega church, and and I wanted you to come on personally because, um, you know, when I got to Van Dyke United Methodist Church, I I had left a situation where it was a really bad leadership situation. Um, was really disappointed for me and senior pastors at that point, mega church pastors. I mean, I had pretty much, I, I was just not in a good place with that. Not, 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 not expecting that that was ever going to be a good thing. And when I got to, when, when I got to uh, Van Dyke, what, what I loved was that um, from, from moment one, um, the things I found in you as a, a senior pastor at a, a large church is that you were approachable. Um, you were encouraging. I think we had lunch once a week. I mean, we were we were just always hanging out. You would come over to my house and watch. Yeah, and tw- I always had to pay. Yeah, that's way. true. That's the privilege of the senior <laughs> pastor. So because we were just like poor youth pastor. So so you were you would come over to my house and watch twenty four. I mean, it was just a total different.
different relationship for me where I'd come from, where I came from a place where I think in five years I worked there, the senior pastor had lunch with me, I think once, once or twice that I'd actually sat down and talked. Did you to have this to pay person. for the lunch too? And I probably paid. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, so it was a total different world for me where, where I was seeing uh, somebody who was, you know, a high profile pastor in a high profile church, but who um, chose to invest in uh, other people. And, and so, you know, I wanted you to come on to have a, to talk about this whole issue when you look at the Darren Patrick thing and you look at the Mark Driscoll thing. And I just wanted to see if, you know, when you heard those stories, knowing who you are, and again, you're not perfect and, and we sure. could, me and you could sit here and go around about our things that we know about each other where we're not perfect and, you know, but, but, but knowing who you are and, and I think the great job you do at, at trying to be all those things as a senior pastor, approachable and encouraging and, uh, you know, championing other people. My question is, um, wh- what was your first reaction, your thoughts when you, when you heard these kind of Mark Driscoll stories and these Darren Patrick was just a couple of weeks ago? What, what are your first responses to things like that? Yeah, well, Mark, you know, the truth is it breaks my heart. I mean, my, my first reaction uh, is, you know, the brokenness uh, for for those guys and for how that really breaks up a church sometimes right. as well and, and how it messes up uh, the entire kingdom witness. And, you know, as a pastor, one of my first thoughts is, you know, what – what was a missing piece in their life, you know, and in their ministry uh, that that led to that? Because, you know, it wasn't an overnight decision. You know, you wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a ministry bully. I'm going to abuse my power. Uh, you know, I'm going to be this, like, benevolent dictator over my staff. Right. My, and I think it's this slow creep. I, I think it's this kind of insidious thing that just seeps into your heart and your life and ministry. And it, so it breaks my heart that back 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago that, that those guys, you know, didn't have either spouse, fellow pastoral covenant group, or friends in the church who became those healthy, corrective agents in their life. It just breaks my heart for what happened 20 years ago with them. Yeah, right. I mean, when you look at and again, we've said that at the beginning of this podcast, we said, you know, this is not a beat on them session. That's not what we're trying to do. Right. We're just trying to get at the heart of why these things happen to try to help, you know, other people and, and also to look at these situations, say, can they be avoided? And how can we do better as the body of Christ to, to follow Jesus? and to love other people. So, Matthew, let me ask you right. a question. Uh, this is Mike. Um, obviously, when you go into ministry, you don't necessarily go in thinking that you're going to have a tremendous amount of power and influence, and um, most pastors don't. You go in as a servant. How does that sneak up on you, that you become where this, this intoxicating power of, uh, this intoxicating you know, strength of power comes out over you? How, can that, how does that sneak up right. on you? Yeah, you know, which, by the way, if you go into ministry, you know, thinking that it's going to be one big power trip, uh, <laughs> not only do you get a rude awakening, but sure. you yeah. never end up in a position where you're going to have a lot of power because mm. that's kind of rooted out pretty quickly. So yeah. you're right. It's 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 all of us who, you know, kind of entered into ministry, you know, with that sort of servant's heart. That's where it's going to start creeping in. And so what... You know, what has been uh, sort of the, the 
the three-legged stool, if you will, for you know what has been good support and, and a good antidote for that stuff in my life is one, uh, having a spouse uh, who is, yes, highly encouraging, uh, but is very truth-telling in your life and can speak truth to power. And so you have to have a very honest, healthy spouse. Hmm. Uh, I, you, you do it as a single person, but I think it's a great benefit to have that spouse. And the second thing is uh, a healthy covenant group of other pastors that I'm blessed with myself who are guys that, and we've heard this said before, I remember the first time hearing it from Randy Frazee at a Promise Keepers event, to have guys who love you but are not impressed by you. Yeah, that's good. And, and can just therefore speak that truth into your life when you're getting too big for your britches. And, and I think the third thing is the reality that you can have healthy friendships in your church. Yeah. I'm amazed by how many pastors believe that it is impossible to have healthy friendships in your church, whether they're on your staff or whether they're laypersons uh, sitting in the pews. And I think that that just sets you up for a lot of weird stuff sure. if you don't believe yeah, you can right. have friends. In and I, I just want to speak to that because my, my my situation right now, uh, you know, I'm in a mega church uh, in Pittsburgh called Allegheny Center Alliance Church. And, you know, one of the greatest things that, uh, that Pastor Rock does is he actually, like, he goes fishing with staff and has friends mm-hmm. that are part of the church. And I've seen that, you know, that, that has really been a healthy fantastic thing in his life and i just just looking back from the outside in saying wow like i want to be i want to have that to where it's not Mm -hmm. like this i walk in and everybody bows down but i'm one of the guys you know and i think that you know that that insidious thing like you said you stop being one of the guys and you start expecting people to bow down to you and 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 it doesn't happen from one moment to the next it's it's definitely you know over time like you said 20 years or 15 years you know Mm -hmm. and, and so just thank you for that that insight. I think that's that's really encouraging. Especially, you know, where uh, we're in a situation like I'm in, where I've I've you know been here 23 years now, and so you know that in and of itself can lead to that sense of you know calcification of the heart and and the sense of of empowerment entitlement. Uh, you know, if you've been that long at some place, um, and and so I almost have to have more of an awareness and more of a sensitivity now. 23 years in this one appointment, 30 years total in ministry, than I had to have the first five to 10 years here. That, that's a great thought, Matthew. And we were talking about this even before the show. It seems like when you're starting off in ministry and maybe your ministry is small, uh, it's hard on your soul because uh, you want it to grow and you're, tr- you're wrestling with identity and your own self-worth and ministry. But when you have success in ministry, it feels like it's hard on your soul and you almost have to work on humility. Uh, how do you work on humility in season of success uh, well number one uh, if, if I don't have a healthy personal devotional life uh, everything is going to sink around that and if, if, it, if my heart is not being marinated in and, and saturated in some personal engagement with scripture each day and that life of prayer each day then if I go without it one day, I know it. If I go without it two days, my wife knows it. If I go without it three days, my staff knows it. If I go without it for a week, uh, my good friends in the church know it. And it just goes on from there. And that grounding to me 
is, and I hate to admit this kind of dirty, you know, underbelly of pastoral ministry, but I've known a ton of pastors over my 30 years of professional ministry who have absolutely no personal devotional life. I've seen the same thing, you know, and, and it's uh, when I was in when I was in um, college studying to be senior pastor, one of my mentors who's still a mentor in my life now, he said, look, if you if you begin to be self-reliant rather than spirit reliant, you're going to fail and it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, I have the same kind of situation. If if I go one day without it, I know it. And two days, my wife knows it, and she calls me out. She's like, you need to go into the prayer closet because you got a problem. <laughs> and, I mean, it, it's really great to have, have Three my days wife we know it. be so on. Yeah, that's true. It's, uh, so, so I, don't worry, I, we're not impressed with you anyway. We like, what is that? What was the line? <laughs> we like you, but we're not impressed with you. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't, yeah. I know where Marv goes fishing. Is it on the Monongahela River? Or no, see, Here's the thing. I don't go fishing. See, I, he he invites people. I hate fishing. It's so boring to me. I'm like, can I please do something more active than just sit here waiting for an animal to bite? I, I can't. I can't handle it. Well, hey Matthew, we're gonna uh, we're gonna continue this conversation. Uh, we're gonna bring in uh, Warren Bird to talk with us. Also, we'll be right back here on Post Christian Pastors with Warren Bird and Matthew Hartsfield. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Post-Christian Pastors. This is Marv. It has uh, been a pleasure to talk with Matthew. And now we are going to have our second guest, Warren Bird, come on, a personal friend of mine. He's the Director of Research and Intellectual Capital for Leadership Network, one of the leading researchers, if not the most leading researcher in the country on megachurches and pastors, author of 28 books, including his newest one, God Dreams, which is a really phenomenal read. He served for 14 years as a pastor, and he also wrote the foreword for my book what good is jesus warren, you wrote a book thank you Wait a second. yes true. yes i wrote a awesome. book i did warren thank you so much for joining us today hey uh it's great to be the the friend of marv nelson and you did write it <laughs> you did write an awesome book so doing the forward was easy that's nice true. so that's pretty thank impressive you. uh resume there warren could you add something to like are you a great dancer or uh i don't know <laughs> no, say something actually Actually, we we got tired of doing the wedding shuffle, so we went to dancing, and then we went to remedial dancing, and then we went to remedial remedial dancing, and we're still going to uh, weddings and doing the uh, shuffle, because one of us (laughs) uh, is a little bit slow on that. I do have a wonderful, beautiful wife of 36 years. Nice. Cool. Well, Marv's got got some questions for you and for Matthew, who's still with us. Uh, Matthew Hartsfield is still with us, right, Matthew? Yes. All right, Matthew's still with us, so go ahead, Marvin. Yeah, ask some questions. I, I just these have guys. I have two two leading questions into this conversation as we're talking about power and pastors and mega churches and some of the issues that can come with being a celebrity pastor. The first one, Warren, is is for you. What has your research shown about issues, both good and bad, as it pertains to pastors in mega churches? I mean, I know it's kind of a, a broad picture, but there there are probably some highlights of the good and the bad that you've seen in your research because you've been doing it for for really long time and some great stuff has been coming out from leadership network well how narrow do you want it do you want to talk about pastoral terminations in particular and uh and authority because because of all church sizes uh 28 percent of church 
pastors will say that at some time in their ministry career, they were forcibly terminated from that role. Uh, the larger the church, the less likely that is to happen. But because of uh, media and high visibility, the more people tend to be aware of the terminations of the larger church guys. Okay, well, yeah, I'd say you can go you can go broader uh, or not. I mean, just when it when it comes to to let's say let's start with with good issues in your research. What what is what is popped? It, it could be power authority. It could be just some good things that are coming out uh, for megachurch pastors. You know, what has some of the research been positively? Well. You've probably, Marv, from your youth pastoring background, you're aware of the stat that uh, the high turnover rate of youth pastors and also the rate of um, when your effectiveness begins. And so often your effectiveness uh, uh, peak is uh, is after the time that you've already gone. Yeah. Uh, so, so the good news is that pastors, senior pastors in general, are inching up in their longevity at their present churches. And that's even denominational systems that do appointments are realizing that this idea of reshuffling everybody just arbitrarily every few years is not necessarily healthy uh, for the pastor or the church. So we are seeing long-term models and high fruitfulness um, after about the higher fruitfulness after about the eighth year. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and my other question then, too, when it comes to power and the negative aspect is, is why do you think the misuse of power is the new scandalous leadership failure for, for large church pastors? I mean, I, we, we know Explain that, that. Explain that. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, we, we've seen Darren Patrick and Mark Driscoll. There's this sense of um, abusing their power, misusing it. You know, like you said, there's longevity there, but there, there seems to be some kind of control that's happening. And with these guys, there was a lot of, uh, you know, scandalous use of that, of that power, mis, misusing it, um, refusing personal accountability. Um, so, so why do you think instead of like, you know, remember the 80s and the 90s, there's a lot of sexual sin that broke up a lot of yep. pastors. Now it seems to be this misuse of power. Is there any research that goes into uh, explaining why you would think that that's the new uh, scandalous leadership failure? I hear what you're saying, but I probably take issue with almost every sentence that you said. Uh, sex is <laughs> has always been and will continue to be a predominant reason, a moral failure for leaders stepping down, as well as uh, financial abuse. Okay. Uh, those are often masked in that, uh, you know, to save face or something else, instead of saying the pastor committed adultery, right. uh, that we we say it in a nicer way, God led him uh, to another ministry. <laughs> <laughs> and even Fairly in that case, roughly. even yeah. in that case, God led him to another ministry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you would put that. It's an interesting word yeah. for it. So, so that's always been and will continue. And yes, there were was a wave of televangelist visibility. But I think the key word is visibility. There, as uh, as the prominence of TV people and uh, TV people with TV ministries, and all uh, and and the media of communication and the. Frankly, the role of we don't have to respect those in authority. We can just tell it as it is. And if it was a scandal, let's let everybody know that it was a scandal. But, you know, there's 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 always been also that tension uh, in terms of of the less 
subjective uh, issues like pride or arrogance or bullying right. uh, and things like that. And and first, be aware that many churches, the goal of church discipline is always restoration. Yeah. And so you have your John Pipers and others who, who in essence, John, who, who uh, Bethlehem Baptist, Minneapolis, who kind of keeps his uh, emotions on the edge of his sleeve, you know, in essence said, hey, you know, my ego got out of check and, and the elders are working with me on it. And indeed they did. And indeed his ministry ended just as strong as you would have hoped because yeah. he had a board to work with him and the board didn't uh, abruptly release him. So there is a restoring thing. Now, just another piece of the puzzle. Think through all the professions there are with arrogant, bullying leaders. <laughs> yeah. A CEOs of companies, uh, a school heads of <laughs> politics. There's no or very little check. Yeah, for people like that, it is it is only in ministry, and and hopefully it's not the Nazi police who attitude who are trying to uh, oust their pastor, though that may be the the um, the motive of some. Uh, but it's it's always a restoration idea. How can hey, if we're going to do this as a team, you know, how can we truly hold each other accountable in a healthy way? Now, all that said. In recent years, the Reformed tradition in particular has had several high visibility folks, Darren Patrick, uh, the most recent, where they were clear this is not a, um, a moral issue in the sense of sexual sin or uh, financial greed. We love that, yeah. Warren. I think that's fantastic. Exactly what we want to camp out on is that whole idea, that second layer of sin, getting past the, the sexual and financial things, but really addressing this issue of pride and arrogance um, in 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 how pastors handle success. How have you seen, maybe this is a positive way to ask this question, both for you and, uh, and for Matthew as well. How have you seen pastors work on humility and handle success so that their character doesn't lag behind the growth of their ministry? That is such a good question because that character issue is usually at the core of what happens. And too often, as Mark Driscoll himself said, my character hadn't developed as fast as the ministry had. And so, so many pastors are, are trying to be very intentional about who gets to speak into their lives. It's very easy when your ministry is thriving and everything's going well to be surrounded by yes people yeah. or big dream people, and and who in your life can, besides your wife can tell you no, yep. or yep. can say that's, that's unwise, you're biting off too much, this is going to end up uh, with you crashing in some unhealthy way. And those that have invited an accountability circle, that's a true accountability circle, indeed are some of those who have the accountability circle have said, okay, pastor, time for a time out, because in our view, things are out of hand so, right now. Matthew, you lead a large church of, I think, over 3,000 people. Obviously, you've led a ministry that's grown. How do you uh, make sure that you focus on growing on your character as well? I believe it's primarily the awareness of one word, and that's isolation. Mm -hmm. I believe that so many pastors are living in isolation mm -hmm. because beyond, as uh, Warren has said, beyond their spouse, 
who are they really connecting with? Yeah. Who are they letting into their world? And uh, I at least know in the circles that I run, it's very easy as a pastor to be isolated from other pastors and then to be isolated even within your own church. Yeah. And the antidote, at least in my life in ministry, has been twofold. Uh, one is that I now, for 26 plus years of my 30 years in ministry, have done life together uh, with six other pastors. The seven of us have been in a covenant group together where we do life together. And every spring and every fall, we're on a retreat together. And we are in between those constantly in each other's lives and faces sometimes. And when I talk about that with other pastors, uh, there is this like blank stare. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Pastors. Yeah. Yeah. They just have that covenant group, that accountability group, let alone that kind of longevity. And it just is amazing to me. In fact, um, the covenant group that I'm in uh, has been asked to share uh, later this year at the New Room Conference uh, that's uh, coming up in Franklin, Tennessee, as well as uh, to go to Asbury Seminary and share our story there. Because what we're hearing is that it's such an outlier anomaly. And, and pastors, when they hear, yeah. they're like, well, I want that. I'm not intentionally isolated. They just unintentionally end up isolated. Right, and, and I think that that is a huge problem, this idea of accountability. We were talking about it a little earlier. You know, and my personal thing is that, you know, even in the Driscoll case, and, and Warren, you, you talked a little bit about John Piper. Driscoll early on said that he was being mentored by Piper and that Piper actually called him out on some of these things early on, and he, and he quote-unquote confessed them, but never changed his attitude. And, and I think that not only do we need to be held accountable, but we need to actually Actually, when someone calls us out, like you both were saying, you know, we need to have people that can punch us in the face and we say, okay, ouch, I really do need to change that. Uh, is there anything, you know, Warren, from research or Matthew, from, from your experience that helps you to, to be living in that humility space? Because I think that it really does come down to, I'm not as awesome as people say I am. I have issues, you know, and, and I think that some of these pastors, they have so many sycophantic people that follow after after them, that they begin to word. it is it is a big word uh, for a pastor. Uh, but they have so many they have so many of these these up. people that are following after them, telling them that they're the bee's knees. And then when one person who's telling them you have a problem, they're like it's easy for them to slough it off because they have a hundred thousand other people saying that they're great. Is there any research or is there any way that that can help pastors to to begin to walk in that humility or sure. to to really actually take these steps of accountability that people are encouraging them to take? I hang around with a lot of senior pastors and I get to sit in a lot of senior leadership teams. And, and one difference that I really notice is this idea of how much the pastor makes heroes of others, not because that's the politically wise thing to do, but because the pastor really means it. That's a good one. Uh, example, you, you have some pastors, you go on the church uh, website and there's only one biography under the staff. It's we just talked pastor. about this. Yeah. <laughs> we just talked oh. about this, about a church I went to in Florida when I was working for you Specialties and I was speaking. It was the largest church in Florida and I went there and spoke and the guy wouldn't, the senior pastor wouldn't let me introduce the host who was another pastor in the church. He wouldn't let me introduce that person. Like, because he wanted to be the only pastor that was introduced in the church as a pastor. 
Wow. So, it was crazy, yeah. crazy. I it, was so angry. <laughs> Sorry, do we go ahead? It really is. And, and pastors like that with an unchecked ego truly see themselves as the hero of every story. But, <laughs> yeah. but so often their ministry is limited because they have not created the culture of empowerment that is absolutely essential if a church is to multiply. And dare I go so far as to say, if biblical discipleship is to happen where everybody is reproducing themselves through someone else. So, all that to say, those pastors that don't make heroes of others tend to be the ones who have the celebrity mindset and the discipline of making heroes of others is a constant reminder that you can reach people that I can't. You can do things that I can't. We're all in this together. We truly are the body. Yeah. Yeah, can I say that really quick? Uh, you know, Matthew's on here. This is something that Matthew always did so well, is that Matthew always made heroes of the people on his staff. Like, he always pointed out how great a job they were doing. In fact, I was just on his Twitter feed this week and sure. looking at Matthew's Twitter feed, and it just always pointing out, like, these people are great. I love working with these people people and it was just you know it was it was great to see uh that because matthew hartsfield's always been great at Most making definitely. heroes out of other people so your point's very well taken and i saw well, it i saw it done do it now that you're not on my staff <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so much easier we don't have losers on your staff like me but yeah that's good well, yeah just real briefly one aspect has to do with money uh yeah. we're right now leadership network in the middle of the large church salary staff and budget survey at lead net.org slash salary for churches attendance 500 and up and yesterday i was talking with a pastor who was who was like well you know all that really matters is the senior pastor and everybody else just kind of gets a fixed rate and and the disparity wow. between his salary and the rest of his team was just incredible versus a lot of churches, since I, I get to see the results of all this, and I kind of compare, okay, how close is the number two person to the number one person? Um, I would suspect that those churches where the number two person makes, you know, 90% of what the number one person makes, and, and there's a team of others that do well, I would suspect that that's the kind of church uh, that the pastor is truly functioning as a team and not being this uh, solo big ego where every uh, inviting a future fall. Sure. I want yeah. to dive a little deeper into this for both of you guys. And um, one of the things that I've observed just in t over 20 years of ministry is that often as pastors, especially senior pastors of high-profile churches, uh, there's almost a myth created about you um, from congregants. They, they see you as larger than life. Uh, mm -hmm. You speak deeply into your, your, their, your lives. Uh, they know about your kids and funny stories at home and almost feel like they're a part of your family if you share stories like that. I had worked for one pastor where someone out of church, a lady was walking out of church, and said, Pastor, you're you're a gift to the state of Ohio. And he was wow. standing right next to his wife, and his wife kind of looked at him and said, the problem is you believe that. She was joking with him as a, wow. as a little pride uh, dig on him. But so there's this myth that can be created for pastors. I liken it almost to professional athletes who we put on pedestals and we think they're better human beings because they're good at a physical skill in the field. Pastors get this platform and this myth that can be created about it. Think about it even in a multi-site church where a pastor is not ever physically present. It's just a video of their teaching. So they're never known as a human being. 
how does this idea of the the pastoral myth um, affect uh, pastors' hearts? You know, I've seen great insecurity in there, and how does that affect their role in, in their ministry? Well, to be you know, to be honest, it, it can be a real narcotic. Uh, right. You know, it it, it can be uh, uh, like a drug, and if you you know if you don't have those checks and balances, uh, that narcotic, that drug can can create. Uh, a rather addicted response, yeah. and it, you can get uh, in this state where you're craving that more and more, and then you start expecting it more and more, mm. and you feel entitled to it more and more, and wow. it just plays games in your head about that stuff. And you know, if you don't have that covenant group, if you don't have that spouse, if you don't have those honest friends in the church, um, it just sets you up for some amazingly disastrous outcomes, as as we've been talking about in this podcast. Yeah, that's great. Warren, you, you wrote a book. I, I kind of want to just because it was one of the books that really has has changed the way I see leadership teams that thrive. And in there, you talk about a team approach and, and the healthier the team, the healthier the church, the healthier the senior pastor. Do, do you think that there that to help kind of quell some of this uh, celebrity pastorship stuff would 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 developing a preaching team be helpful to where it's not always one person's voice but multiple voices? Preaching teams are always healthy. They're healthy in multiple levels. They, they help the congregation reach a broader spread because the pastor, whoever the dominant speaker is, tends to use the kind of illustrations that draw people that uh, that pastor's age minus about five years, just behind in life stage. So, so first, you're reaching more people. Second, you're modeling collegial ministry, which is what you want your people to do, or at least what the Bible teaches. Um, third, it it lines up succession and other handoff uh, stuff. And, and then, Marv, finally, to your point, it reduces the dependency on one individual. Yeah. And, and, and also, all the stuff that's in your head really does come out as a, as a competition. Uh, and when you have a team... Uh, then the competition uh, uh, dynamics change in that you're all trying to help each other yeah. make a greater impact for Jesus. And, and in turn, your team is trying to help the congregation do that. And it just models so many healthy things. So rather than climbing a ladder and trying to be the first one, everyone's kind of pushing each other up the ladder and helping one another up it. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. But it, it also humanizes it you know if bill hybels uses a sermon illustration about one of his boats and then the next person on the teaching team says well last week bill told us about a reaching someone for christ on a sailboat let me show you what that sailboat looks like and they have this little dilapidated thingy type thing. <laughs> yeah. and actually and, bill hybels only tells stories about boats right. <laughs> <laughs> i'm convinced i'm convinced that that's the only stories he knows is about boats. he likes to sail just joking well, just having fun well when he had me out to talk about his succession, it was going to be on one of those boats. Yeah. <laughs> and, and my wife's only advice was, honey, you don't swim so well, so you must promise to wear a life preserver in case they don't like what you say. Uh, so, Matthew, Matthew knows Bill. I think he's been on the boat. Have you been on the boat, Matthew? 
Yeah, you know, uh, and you're right. He is a boat nut. <laughs> totally. He's going to have to, like, his secession plan is to go down with the boat. Like, his uh, everything ends. Or He'll just sail, sink sail with the boat. The or sail off. Well, yeah, either sail way. On. Sail off to Narnia. Yeah, you know? <laughs> the point here is that we validate each other sure. when we play off of each other. And humor always opens the door for the serious impact of God's truth. So it's a win all the way around and it and indirectly it helps all of us not take ourselves so seriously it's great warren thank you so much yeah. warren um i got a question for you what do you see as the future of the mega church well first you read articles that say uh okay it's a boomer phenomenon and all that and that is absolutely not true there are you know uh, there's a huge young generation of the matt chandlers and perry nobles and stephen furtick's and and others that have that that are growing them not only faster, adding more campuses. In other words, going from zero to ten thousand or zero to five thousand, whatever, in a shorter amount of time. So, uh, the future of the large church will continue because there is a certain efficiency of uh, economy of 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 effectiveness. If 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 at the same time the church grows larger by getting smaller. In other yeah. words, people find their identity in that small group or ministry, and therefore, since they have friends, networks, and all, they really don't care how big it is. In fact, the bigger the better, because that that in certain ways makes, okay, well, then we got more service times available, more specialized options. Oh, great, there's an Alzheimer's, there's a support group for people whose parents have Alzheimer's. Well, where else could you find that with a Christ-centered emphasis yeah. than a than a large church. So there are a lot of pluses that will cause it to continue as long as this idea of community yeah. really works for people. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Matthew, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it just kind of resonates with everything that, that I'm experiencing and that my friends are experiencing. You know, for instance, uh, Mark, you know George Acevedo. Yes. Uh, my be- my best friend, member of my covenant group, who's pastor Grace Church in Cape Coral. And uh, a good he, friend of mine, too. I've been down to his church several well, times. That's right. Uh, you know, I, I know he's been in some groups with you, uh, Six Warren degrees well. of Jorge, or six degrees yeah. of Acevedo. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he probably is one of the best examples of creating a teaching team and doing multi-site, multi-campus work uh, in, in a team that, that I can look at in the entire country. And he would completely agree you know, with everything. I, I think it's, uh, it's no surprise that, that uh, his recent favorite book and my recent favorite book is Teams That Thrive, because you know, that's, I think, what makes that whole deal work. And his language, my language, the language that our Coven Group uses is, quote, no heroic solo leadership. Yeah, that we're not into heroic solo leadership. We're into creating generative teams, and that little mind shift right there, that paradigm shift, no heroic solo leadership, uh, is what I believe that whole piece is all about. Yeah, it's yes, a, that's uh, so true. And for those that didn't read the book, the one of the big contrast is many people think they have a team which is translated as, oh, we give advice to the top person who then goes off and makes all the decisions. That is not a team. No. That is an advisory group. Right. Uh, a true team owns the decision, not necessarily unanimously, but, but they fight it out in a healthy way, and then they implement it 
uh, in a way that they all own some level of it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Hey, guys, this has been great. You've given us uh, some really great things to think about. And if people are listening to this podcast, whether they're pastors, lay people, however, uh, things to look at their church for, for, for leaders and churches to be as healthy as they possibly can be, because churches are not going to be healthy unless they have healthy leaders. So you guys, it's been a great to have you here. Thanks so much for uh, being with us. Matthew, thanks for being with us all the way from Florida. And Warren, hey, thanks, sure. thanks for being with us all all the way from New York, New York, right? You just had a big primary a couple days ago. Wow. Um, just rub it in. Rub it in. <laughs> well, hey, thanks for being with us, and uh, we're going to come back and with some a little bit of fun, but Warren and Matthew, thanks for being with us, and uh, we'll be back here on Post-Christian Pastors in a moment. Oh, what a great conversation that was with Warren Bird and Matthew Hartsfield. And Matthew is still stuck around with us because we want Matthew to play 10 Bad Questions. 10 it's our, Bad Questions. It's our great, it's our great it. game here at uh, Post-Christian Pastor. So, Matthew, are you ready? I know you're a little afraid, but are you ready to play 10 Bad well, Questions? I'm questioning my judgment for sticking around for this, actually. <laughs> we let Warren off the hook. Warren's a wimp for not sticking around. <laughs> yeah, he is. He, he should have made Warren stick around. That would have been great. All right, so here we go. Cue the music, and uh, here we go. Ten bad questions. Question number one, Marv. Do you think there is a Bigfoot? <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, her name is Maisie, my wife. Oh, oh my goodness. You just called your wife Bigfoot. Wowza. <laughs> Because she will never listen to any podcast. I know I can get away with that. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> That's very good. All right, well, 10 bad questions is off to a great start. All right, question number two, Matthew. This is our this is our question we've we ask everybody. Asked, we've been asking this for everyone. If you could okay. run your fingers through Donald Trump's or Joel Osteen's hair, which one would you choose and why? <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Uh, it would be Joel Osteen because he'd smile the whole time. I- oh, oh that's two for he Joel like Osteen, it. though. We that ask that question every week. Make you feel good about it. All right. Joel gets another tick in his, his uh, not tick, but anyway, little mark, whatever you call it. You can have a tick in his hair. That's all right. <laughs> all right. All right. Number three, Matthew, have you ever whipped and nanade? I will not incriminate myself. <laughs> I am invoking the fifth. Do you know what whip and nane is? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, see? <laughs> okay. That's correct. Well, you, you know what? Dance. After after this podcast, you have to go Google it, all right? Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know. I'm afraid of what would pop up. No, no, no. It's clean. No, it's, it's okay. It's, it's totally new, clean. It's the it's new totally thing. It's totally clean. It's a dance. It's a dance you can okay. do. So uh, question number four. Ask the teenagers, Matthew. They'll know. Yes, yes. Question number four is. <laughs> They'll show you. We got question number four is, uh, what is your favorite Mark Helsel memory? <laughs> My, my my favorite Mark Kelson memory uh, was uh, actually the day when he pulled out of town and left our staff. Oh, oh my goodness. Wow. He knew you were on to bigger and better things, that's all. You know what one of my favorite memories is? Is when we, when we in the middle of a hurricane, we went out and got brisket at Sonny's. Oh, we went to Sonny's Barbecue in the middle of a hurricane. Wow. Sonny's restaurants were the only... Restaurants left open in all of Tampa Bay. Yep, and Charlie, Hurricane Charlie. All right, number all right. five. Who's number five. This number is mine. Five. Uh, Matthew, if you can do one job for a day, what would you do? Another job. 
Oh, my fantasy job would be to be a fly fishing instructor. Ooh, look at that. You go fishing more, more, more boring fishing. There you go. <laughs> All right. Number, number six. Have you ever been in the middle of a sermon and really had to pee? Mm. <laughs> All the Not time. just pee. Uh, oh. But the other thing as well. Oh, oh wow. in the middle of the sermon. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Nice. Did you oh, have to dismiss yourself? No. Uh, actually, I have a remarkable uh, self-control and strong constitution. <laughs> yeah, no. wonderful. wonderful. I That's once wonderful. preached with a bucket when I was sick. I, don't I preached know. with a bucket. I had to. I brought it up on stage and so I actually, throw up. Right? I, yeah, I made okay. it through the sermon That's without throwing it. You want to make clear? No, no. I, I should have clarified that. Well, you, you should have because he said, you know, pee and then the other thing, and then you're like, I brought a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> I needed to know. All right, Mark. Actually, uh, Mark, you the rest of us need a bucket. <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, man. All right, number seven. Question number seven. Who would you rather go to the beach with? Snoop Dogg, Hillary Clinton, Regis Philbin, or Bernie Sanders? Ooh, that sounds like a fun beach day. <laughs> wow. It would have to be Snoop Dogg. Oh, yes. Snoop Doggy Dog. <laughs> Man, I'd love to go with Regis you, in a speedo. Oh, I think man. he'd just meet people. He'd like introduce you to people. If you walk. Wow. Why Regis Snoop Dogg? Speedo. Why Snoop yeah. Dogg? Since I'm so white and skin cancer ridden, uh, I could ask him to just devote his whole time to putting it on me. Lathering you up. Lathering you up. <laughs> I can see Snoop Dogg rub, rubbing stuff on your back. That would be see, awesome. Mike, that is the oddest response to the question. <laughs> the creepiest answer you've ever yeah, had. It was awesome. I, I'm awesome. fairly weird. All right. right. Number eight. Matthew, do you, is Justin Bieber on your iPod? Absolutely not. No Justin oh, Bieber? But who is? Who is? Who's who is? on your iPod? Who's, like your most embarrassing. If he's on the iPod of any of my staff, I fire them. <laughs> wow. It's abusive. He does wow. know Jesus. Wow. Is, is, <laughs> he does. Who is on your iPod? Uh, actually, um, I, I have to show my age as a baby boomer. Uh, because I have Jack Johnson on my iPod. I've got, I've got, you know, Nora Jones on my iPod. Ooh. You know, I'm, a, I'm a baby boomer guy. How uh-huh. about uh, Prince Purple Rain? Yeah, yeah. You know, Prince died today. Yes, Prince died today. Very sad. Um, okay, if you had to watch a late night talk show, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, or Stephen Colbert, who are you watching? Even though I know you go to bed early, who would you watch? <laughs> I do. I go to bed before all those guys I know. come on. <laughs> Way before they're on. But it. Uh, it would be Jimmy Fallon, actually. Yeah, right. little Jimmy right. Fallon. All right, that- Jimmy Fallon is the best interviewer of all of them. Nice. I think Jimmy Fallon is like a youth pastor. Watching, watching Jimmy Fallon is like watching youth ministry. He is. <laughs> it, it, it makes me nervous. Musically gifted of all of them. I know. I know. He mm-hmm. plays guitar. There's guitar. There's singing. There's yeah. fun games. And there's interviews or discussions. I think it's youth group. He missed his calling. He should have been a youth pastor. <laughs> I know. He should have been. All right. Last question. Number 10. Question number 10. If you could be any member of the Avengers, who would you be? This is very Marvel-esque. So, I mean, I'm a DC person, so I apologize for any of you who are offended by that. But if you could be any member of the Avengers, who Nerds. would you be? Well, because of the way I'm built, naturally, Captain America. <laughs> naturally. Nice. Yes. Naturally. You're like Captain America pre the serum. Pre the... <laughs> <laughs> You're not the biggest I guy. I'm not scrawny. I, I correct people all the time. I'm not scrawny. I'm slim. Oh, gotcha. or svelte. Better than uh, the... Svelte. Svelte. <laughs> well, that is 10 Bad Questions with Matthew Hartsfield. Thank you, Matthew, for playing. 
hey, uh, I, I don't know if I should thank you, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matthew, thanks for being our guest. We appreciate you being here, and uh, we will be right back to wrap things up on Post-Christian Pastors. Back here on Post Christian Pastors. Well, time to wrap this show up. That Let's was fun. It. That was fun. Warren Bird, Matthew stuff. Hartsfield. Yep. What'd you guys think? That was yeah, it was good. Lots of great information. Lots of lots of really awesome content that uh, I think challenged me and 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 then you know made me look at this issue a different way. Just wrapping all that, like ending that, I feel tired. I don't know why. Just like <laughs> inside, I feel like maybe it's just the heaviness of it. There's yeah. a little bit of heaviness there because I think all three of us sitting around this table, we just have a heart for the church to be, you know, it's the hope of the world, right? The, yeah, it, sure. or at least it brings the hope of the world, Jesus, to everybody. So we want it to be the best that they can be. And sure. so I don't know, I feel a heaviness after I talk about stuff like that, just because you want it to be such a great place, but but sometimes it's not. And, and we're yeah. all flawed people, as yeah. we said. And so I hope that people took this in the right spirit. We weren't picking on Mark Driscoll or sure. Darren Patrick. Those are our brothers in Christ. Amen. And, um, and, I, and, you know, Darren, I just, if you want to go online and read it, Darren wrote a, a great little paragraph about him coming to grips with his own sin sure. and repenting of that and moving forward. So we, we hope that when you listen to this, you hear that there's, there's forgiveness and grace for pastors yeah. and the forgiveness and grace and restoration and redemption and all those great R words that we love. And it's beautiful. And uh, so, you know, we hold on to that because Jesus is the only perfect one. So I hope when you hear this, you don't, you realize that your pastor's not perfect. Um, but we do, but you do pray and hope that your pastor is, is walking with Jesus as closely as they can and right. trying to be the best leader that they can. Most definitely. Yeah. I think there's a lot to take away from it just for personally, for, for anyone that's working and, and achieving and in getting some level of success in life, just to realize how important it is to work on your humility. I loved how Matthew talked about that. Both Matthew and Warren, very intelligent, very experienced people. We just gleaned from their experience and wisdom that they brought here. They both just talked about the importance of being open, not being isolated. So it, wherever we're at, whatever success you're having, what an important uh, principle just to be open and to be humble. To yeah. Yeah. For me, you know, personally, just, just hearing the, the passion that Matthew had about spending time with the Lord and, and uh, really making that a priority. Cause you know, like he said, the dirty underbelly to some pastors is that they don't, yeah. uh, you know, and that's been something I was challenged by a mentor in my life, uh, Ron Walborn, uh, you know, he's the Dean of ATS where Warren teaches and he always talks about this reality of surrender and, you know, surrendering to the Holy Spirit. We can't have the gifts and the fruits of the spirit unless we're really surrendering to the Spirit. I mean, some of the gifts, like you said, Mike, earlier in the show can definitely be shown, but we won't be able to have the fruits of the Spirit unless we're surrendering. And so whether you're a pastor or not, the goal really is to surrender everything to the Spirit of God and say, okay, God, like, you lead me. You give me the gifts of the Spirit. I can't create them out of my own will or desire. And, and you know, especially if you're in leadership, you can't lead well without the Spirit of God. And, and sadly, you know, I think 
many pastors try to lead well without the Spirit, and they're trying to lead by themselves. And, and I think that's where a lot of the problem comes. And, and you know, it can be insidious and slow, uh, as, as Matthew had said. But, you know, for me, that's that's the big takeaway for me is just continuously surrender myself to the Spirit of God. Well, that's great, guys. It's a great place to end, and it's been great to be with you again. We miss John today. So, hey, shout out to you, John. We love you. We John miss Bruce. you. Sorry. And uh, this is uh, Post-Christian Pastors. And if you're looking for us on Facebook, just search that, Post-Christian Pastors. Or you can find us uh, on iTunes or Podcast Addict or any place that people download podcasts. We're not hard to find. So look us up, listen, download us, listen to this craziness that we're a part of. And uh, we have some great episodes coming up. So love to uh, have you along for the ride. So time to say goodbye, guys. All right. Goodbye. It's been great having you. And uh, go Cavs, Cleveland. This is your year. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. On that note, goodbye. (laughs) Peace out.